Previously, on the Modern Dandies Guide to Manliness. Imagine that you and I, I ask you out on a date, and you say- I would say yes. You should. I'm a great date. Make governing boring again. It was very undandy last night. They couldn't find another Republican that was willing to do it, and I'm like, I have nothing to lose, and I care about the issue. And now, part two of Politics and Participation with guest- Rebecca Tweed. You know, I think you've hit sort of my point that's like squarely on the head there, which is which is great. Um, and and then because we've been very serious for a while, I'm going to become a little bit flippant, but also just show that I'm probably the in some issues we're not going to get onto defence. I have some very radical positions. One of my things about education and the schools, I completely agree with you. Over administration, former management consultant. Over administration is an enormous burden on any organization. And you know, that's something that I think absolutely should be addressed. And to Mudcat's point, I don't believe that anyone should have a jobs for life that omits them from performance based assessment. And that includes teachers and includes people who, who belong to union. No one should be able to take up a position and then once they get a little stamp on them, never have to be responsible for the quality of their level of performance again. And so I, I sit on that one in the middle and go, and as in fact on many of these things, I sit in the middle and go, you know, that's you know, understanding the costs and making sure that money is going to where it delivers the highest quality service to the public, to the citizens, is an essential role of government, as is removing you know, waste, fraud, and abuse, mm-hmm. and all of the other things. Ergo, why we're not going to talk about defence. On the other hand, is that yes, you want the best people for the jobs, not just the people that have been there the longest and played the system the best. And therefore, you can negotiate on how you approach that from a policy and and execution standpoint. Yeah. And results have to be delivered. I mean, here's another quick example. You know, there's Absolutely. a. I, I don't often vote for property taxes, but you know, two or three years ago, I voted for a property tax increase here as a, a homeowner and somebody who's been committed to this community, $225 million to improve our high school. While the high school's two blocks from my house, I don't ever want to have children, but I care about the high school improving for a lot of reasons. I want to hire students out of that someday. I want them to enter our economy and our workforce, mm-hmm. and I want it to be a safe community. So we voted for the property tax increase. Every single day I can see something being done. The high school's being improved. The roads are being improved. Like I'm seeing the benefit of that tax increase, right? So I'm now more open to tax increases where I can see the money actually going to what they told me it would go to. It's going to improve everything. I selfishly will get, you know, higher property value by having the third best high school in Oregon down the street from my house. You know, there's... So it's never just a vote on election day. It's the it's the holistic approach to what we're seeing and what we do. When I see benefits to my taxes, I'm going to support them. When I see historically that some taxes don't provide any benefit and then they're continuing to harm young women like me that want to run a business and can't afford it sometimes or whatever, you're going to be less likely to do that and and they are they do fall into buckets, you know, they do fall into which side is promoting which issue, but some of it also can't just be the politics around the policy. It has to actually be the policy. Being able to literally see my tax dollars yes. at work makes it longer for me to run errands, but I'll take it because I'm seeing it. Those have to be conversations we have. 
and I, I voted the same way for property tax increase in my uh, the, the place I own in the in the Bay Area for exactly the same reasons. I, you know, I don't want to have kids. Certainly didn't at the time. However, the school and community center they were building was serving a underserved catchment, and I felt it was the you know, the right thing to do from a you know, moral, social, ethical, and economic perspective. And in reality, it didn't cost me that much. And having lived in Europe, particularly in the UK, but worked extensively elsewhere, it makes a big difference when people in the US paint taxes or politicians in the US say, oh, super high taxes, well, this is the worst in the world, la, 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 la. It's like going, actually, I pay more taxes in the US than I paid when I was in the UK when you take into account healthcare by a significant number of percentage points. And I get very little for it. When you go back to London or go back or, or spend time in Germany and some of those places, where the schools work, the public transport works, the roads are clean, the streets are well made. There is very limited crime. Uh, there is you know, good employment, not mm-hmm. just not just low unemployment, but good employment, et cetera, et cetera. You see your taxes working around you all of the time, and you don't mind paying your notionally higher rate of taxes. But to your point in the US, although I do rankle at all of the extra taxes I, I pay here in Old Town Alexandria, I get the same things. I get nice streets. I get trash. I get parks. I get I get bicycle paths. I get, you know, the schools are supposed to be really good. I get to go and use the playing fields because they're, you know, open to residents, et cetera, et cetera. So that is my taxes being applied. It's just where either you don't value what you are getting or you don't recognize that what you're getting is actually something that you've contributed to, or this, however many it is now, I think it's over 60% of Americans effectively pay no federal tax. Of course, they're not going to really value anything that uh-huh. they get. You know, They're benefits of redist- redistributive policies, even though that they say that you know, they don't want to redistribute. It's just a stupidity of the way in which you know, explaining the reality to people has just become part of this... Uh, this emotional football that you know Mudcat had the term of the you know the machinery of misinformation it takes in facts and spits <laughs> out crap. You know it, it yeah. it's it's just become part of of that, and it's harder to have the kind of discussion that we're having now about. Well, I have to defend my policies. Well, okay, what's going to work? You can have different perspectives, but at some t- point, we have to find something that is going to be sustainable for the benefit of the citizens who are paying the money, who are paying those taxes. And I can absolutely t- say that a lot of people I know in the sectors in which I've worked across countries see the public purse as a plaything to be raided and taken advantage of for their own benefit, not as something that actually is supposed to be being spent to create a country that supports to the best of its uh, potential, the citizenry and their aspirations. It it's constantly frustrates me why I often don't spend that long working in government or politics and tend to rotate out and do other I things. I try to rotate out. I quit every election day and then two months later, <laughs> nobody calls. But it's yeah, true. Wes is familiar. I've been quitting since, you know, 2008, but <laughs> here I am. <laughs> First of all, for all three of you, thank you. This is such a wonderful conversation. I'm, I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> um, I wanted to just go back to something that we had spoken of uh, earlier in this conversation about personal responsibility from a, a little bit of a, a different standpoint. I want to get your perspective, Rebecca, 
not only just about your party, I don't want to say your party, the Republican Party at large, trying to not use the <laughs> you bucket can use terms. The bucket. It's fine. Um, <laughs> what we do here and on our show here in our conversations as dandies, for us, the fundamental importance of taking ownership, you know, men in particular, taking ownership of their behavior and responsibility. Do you see it differently than how we see it? I, I'm just because we have our perspective. How are you seeing that coming through your lens, the things that are happening on that side of it? I'm not sure I understand your question. Liam, you, you take a stab at it. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things as dandies that is, is really important is that we take personal responsibility for our thoughts and words and actions. And just in what we say and how we behave and how we engage with people, a lot of what we're seeing on the media, I think particularly from the you know, the far right side, is the exact opposite of that. It is men and others, but men in particular, taking no sense of responsibility for their actions, you know, hiding behind free speech as if free speech is, is freedom from repercussion. And because of the platform, it broadcasts that that's okay to a significant proportion of of men and other people, that it's okay to behave, you know, to lie, abuse, um, denigrate. That it's okay to call AOC a fucking bitch. Mm-hmm. Yes. Things like that. And to then sort of like blink doe-eyed and, and, and say, oh, but freedom of speech. And it, it just- It's infuriating. It just rankles. Yeah. From your perspective- so I'll, I'll throw out some people who are trying to valiantly to hold a flag. Jeff Flake, Mitt Romney, they are trying to hold a, a stand for the behavior that used to be expected. What's your perspective on that and the impact that it's having and and how that's being perceived, as you say, across the, the wider society, conservative movement, Republican Party, whichever whichever sort of bounds sure. you want to go to. I think what we're suffering from right now, and I, I love the question and there's a lot to unpack in it actually. I think what we are suffering from right now is this philosophy of works for thee, but not for me. Right? Mm. I think mm. right now conserve and it's different in Oregon versus federal versus what other people are under, you know, experiencing in their state, but we're in a situation where conservatives who are supposed to be conservative and and thoughtful and uphold everything about the constitution that we possibly can in this free speech, whether it's I can carry a gun or I don't need to wear a mask. They want to run on that issue and they, the extreme sounds and voices want to run on that issue and make noise about it. Right. But as soon as somebody on the other side can make a solid argument about why some of those things inhibit their free speech or their access to free speech or the other side wants to have free speech, right. In, in the form of a protest or something. And again, I'm, I'm very generically putting protests versus gun rights because Mm -hmm. that's the conversation. It's the works for thee, but you know, not for me. And we've got to take a step back and say, just because our way of freedom of speech is not their way does not mean that everybody does not have the same access to freedom of speech and how they want to present that. I'm very frustrated that I see, I'm seeing that inconsistency in my party, which I haven't seen in the same way before, 
right? Like I really am seeing people saying that I don't have to wear a mask. I can do whatever I want. And you guys are not allowed to protest because you're causing noise and causing destruction or whatever. I'm shocked by the fact that we don't just have to say both of you are exercising freedom of speech, right? And both of you need to do it in a way that keeps other people safe because the only way we can protect freedom of speech is to make sure that people can actually be alive to have that freedom of speech, right? If you want to care about your businesses being open and you're mad at the governor for shutting down businesses, you need to wear a mask to keep them open. It's the only way to help your friends right now. I don't care that you feel like your rights are being infringed upon. What's your argument? Are you picking masks or are you picking business? With the protests happening Mm. in Oregon right now, people should be mad. There's a lot of reasons to be protesting. Unfortunately, the protests that have turned violent and that have literally lit the city of Portland on fire have distracted from the original message. And so I assume and, and know publicly that those arguments are happening on in that circle also. It's really about 100 people in Portland that have continued the protest into 92 days. Mm-hmm. It's not the 5,000 that were marching out of moral responsibility a few months ago. Right. Those folks practice freedom of speech, have continued to have a movement. But the noise, the media, the the politicians are responding to the 100 people that continue the destruction. Right. And, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So everybody's distracting from the real issues. It's really frustrating to watch it on a national stage. It's not the reflection of the party and, and the values that I have. And it's like I said, I immediately tell people I'm a Republican, but I didn't vote for Trump in 2016. <laughs> I have to say that four years later, because as soon as you know people find out I'm a Republican, it goes to Trump. Frankly, like I'm trying to make sure that Oregon can move forward. I obviously care about what's happening on the national stage, but it's unfortunate that the values aren't reflected sometimes in, in who we've elected. I think there's a, a sort of follow-on from from that as well, which is, in addition to the language and the extremism, is how do you feel at the moment about the type and tone of commentary or criticism targeted at female sure. politicians and candidates? Because that seems to have changed a lot in just – it was always there to a degree, but it really seems to have become, uh, without having any empirical evidence on hand, quite – it shifted right. quite it's a aggressive. lot. And the the fact that more people aren't upset about that is is bothersome to me, and I'm trying to find the solution also, right? Why there is such a a personality challenge for women, that's what people want to go towards, right? Is personality and how has she set up her life and can she really be a mom and a politician? Just And I'm not even getting into the, the swearing and the name-calling and the sexual harassment that happens. There's still this really weird expectation for how women should be seen. And if they're not, quote-unquote, super bossy and they have been a stay-at-home mom and now they want to run for office, there's this, oh, well, that's cute. Is she qualified? If it is a boss lady and she has been a CEO or she is driven and aggressive... It's now this feminist takeover. That's still a challenge that exists. It's a challenge in even running campaigns for women. It's like, well, wait, how do we want you to look in this picture? Because it's going to, you know, you've got to give a message off that's different than what men have to do. I don't think we know the solution quite yet, except that it has to freaking stop. It's just unbelievable to me that 
we allow conversations to happen or name calling across any gender, but specifically against women, we're not doing anybody any favors. It's making men fall into a category, like I just said, broadly men into a place where you guys look very aggressive and mean. It's making women more defensive and it it just isn't a working narrative. Um, I recently joined the board of the Center for Women's Leadership in Oregon, which is out of the Portland State University Hatfield School. And we're here to try to change that dynamic and change the narrative and change the way that people are seen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I run an all woman company and I say that not because my company is intentionally all women or because we're keeping men from doing something, but I happen to just have, you know, five women that work for me. All of our candidates at the moment are men. That's an interesting relationship to be in, right? People want more women to run mm-hmm. and women should be in charge. And I agree with that, but I'll tell you what, like we are in charge of <laughs> a lot of men, even though we're behind the scenes, but it helps them, I think, have a different conversation when they get, when they get out there. And I know I'm rambling a little bit. I, you know, The bottom line is that we have to change the way we talk about each other. We have to have people within our own parties calling out misbehavior and calling out that abuse, right? And I do it all the time. It's like you can't just attack this woman because she's a woman or challenge her on this. It's not okay. And we got to ask, what are, what are the pronouns? What are people using? I mean, we are in a different environment and it's frustrating and unfortunately it's not going to change overnight. A lot of times folks ask, well, when do you think, you know, women will have arrived or when do you think that narrative will change? I think it will change when we've stopped making headlines. And by that, I mean, right now, you know, it's so-and-so woman running for office first time she's ever run or Oregon has more women elected than they've ever had before. Or now the Democrats have put forward more women candidates than the Republicans have and I did it myself. I run an all-woman company. I'm one of the only women politicians in Oregon or political consultants in Oregon. We're still self-identifying. At some point, there needs to be enough equality that it doesn't make headlines that we have X number of women running anymore. That's my goal, Mm -hmm. is where it's just not even newsworthy because everybody is out there doing good work. Take the name off the resume. Who's the best person for the job? How are we recognizing the strengths? And it's we're going to have to change the narrative but I'm shocked by it right now, I guess. I, I would agree with you that. And as soon as I saw that Senator Harris was Joe Biden's running mate, I literally remember physically bracing myself for what I knew would be the next yep. conversations over the next yep. week and was disappointed yep. to be proven right. But I, I remember like closing my eyes and being like, okay, here we go. And unfortunately... It's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this. It, I mean, you know, the the immoral asshole brigade had had been slathering at the chops to to run their little nasty mm-hmm. troll campaign uh and and yep there it was you know, guys it'd be impressive if you weren't so fucking predictable <laughs> i actually say that that is the fault of of my profession and rebecca's if we were not so predictable if we did not roll out the same old mm-hmm. hits and frame the questions and the conversations in the same way we could get a better class of troll. Yes. Speaking for maybe the audience that's that's not as well informed uh, as as all three of you are, a question that I have uh, from my blissful ignorance of, <laughs> of how all this works, and and something that I I really do 
want to become better at and more informed upon, not just from politics, but just from equality in, in general. Rebecca, do you see some of this aggressiveness? Is this new or are we just now finding mm. out about it? Um, in the same way that we can generally talk about race, we're like, oh, I didn't know this was happening. And it's like, well, come on. Uh, so I, I am sincerely asking do you, from your perspective, and I know that you're not speaking for all women. There's no way that anyone could do that. Is this new? Is this something that's always been there? And then for folks who genuinely want to be an ally, what what are some things that we could try to do to help? Great questions. I think this is something that's always been there, right? And I think we're recognizing some systemic racism and systemic sexism and systemic inequality, frankly. And not all of that comes from a bad place. Some of it is just that people have been in different environments or they haven't been open to it or understand it and they get scared. Fear is a big driver of staying behind the scenes as it is, you know, responding to everything else. I think that we are finding, I think it's always been there. We're finding new platforms to talk about it and new opportunities. Every time there is a, you know, a catalyst for something, we're learning what's inside of it, right? And that's coming out more and more right now. I still see people talk about issues that I thought we'd be done talking about 15 years ago. Social change happens when some of these little B bombs get thrown out and get thrown off. And it's like, wow, we've got to deal with this. And I had no idea. I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt, which is pretty rare for somebody in my profession. Like I give people some grace and benefit that they're just learning some things for the first time. But that doesn't mean it hasn't always been here. A quick story about this, and and then I'll get to your question about advice. One of the reasons that I got involved in political strategy and consulting was because I remember sitting in a room in my first campaign cycle in Oregon, and it was me and five white guys, and I was 22, and they're all old guys who've been doing this stuff forever, and they were talking about education. And in Oregon, you know, women are the target audience, right? 63% of women are registered Democrats. There's more women than men. It's a target audience's campaign speak for, we've got to get these votes. Anyway, they're talking about how to talk about education to women. And they mentioned all sorts of things. And I eventually just raised my hand, even though I was there to take notes and not talk. I said, you know what, I'm a woman and I don't care about any of that. And I'm a woman who doesn't want kids. And I care about education. How are you going to get to me? How are you going to get to the 22, 23, 30-year-old woman that's not interested in that issue? And it changed the way that we polled on education. It changed the conversation. And there's a lot to unpack out of that example. But my point being, 15 years ago, we should have been talking about it a different way. Now we need to be talking about Mm. it a different way. And inclusivity is a huge part of how do we bring all these perspectives together? And I think sometimes it's frankly, it's asking the question, right? It's just asking somebody, what is the best way for me to talk about this? How do I frame this correctly with friends? You know, I'd love to, when we're done with this recording, get off and talk to you each individually and say, how are you hearing about things in your issues in your communities? And and what are the best phrases for me to use to get to my, my end goal, right? And it's not a kumbaya thing. It's more of 
if I'm going to do something well, I need to make sure I'm in the narrative I need to be in. And that has to come from a place of understanding values. And I think we, we make jumps, you know, we have a perception gap of where we think the other party is or where the other gender is or where the other race is. And we're afraid to approach it. And we let the people that throw the bombs do that for us. And we just sit here. So my, my number one piece of advice would be kind of forget what you think you know about what you know, right? Every campaign cycle or every issue I take on, I have to come at it from zero. I just have to pretend it's the first time I've ever done it because otherwise you get super comfortable and that's when you lose. Have conversations with people that you don't normally talk to and figure out how do I not be an asshole when I'm talking about this issue? Like if everybody could just stop being an asshole for a second, we might fix a few things. (laughs) That's personal responsibility. It's my job to not make assumptions. It's my job to do the research. And I have to talk to people that I don't normally wouldn't, generally talk to or stereotypically talk to if I want to accomplish anything. And, and that's, I think what we all have to try to do. And we need to be willing to take on people in our own party that are doing something wrong. Right. I mean, I take on Republicans here sometimes that I think, Hey, you're just spewing rhetoric and you're not getting anything done. And I don't care if you get 500 Facebook likes, you're not helping the, the whole movement. And I do it with Democrat friends. It's like, Hey, You can't keep just talking about this issue this way or accusing people of being a certain way because you're not getting done what you want to get done. We have to take responsibility for our own behavior. And if we want to change it, if everybody in this, you know, podcast and discussion today wants to change it, we've got to start talking to folks that we would have generally stereotyped and say, where am I wrong and what can I do better? That's it. We may not hug it out after we may not like each other after, but we have to just do those things to try to get, you know, a place where we're moving forward, even if we're moving forward and we don't agree with each other. We may continue to fundamentally disagree on certain issues, but at least it comes from a place of respect. You're intelligent over here. I'm Mm -hmm. intelligent over here. We just don't agree. I'm vegan. I've been vegan for 15 years. I'm never going to make my boyfriend vegan. That's fine. I don't care anymore. (laughs) We don't fight about it, right? Again, if not intentionally being a flippant example, but just a way to say, at some point, recognize the differences and respect them. We're not doing that right now. We're not trying to figure out why people have different perspectives. And I don't think we're taking the step to respect that sometimes we're just not going to agree. If we don't agree, we get angry. We use terms like they're on the other side. And then when people that represent us, so to speak, aren't doing something right, I think we need to call them out and hold them accountable. And, and there's just not enough of that right now. Why do you think that is? I think it comes from a place of fear, not wanting to fight, not wanting to be seen as somebody who's gone to the dark side. And, you know, politics is a scary business, right? I mean, it, it really is that if you make the wrong person mad, they can make your life miserable. That sounds very House of Cards. You know, people ask me all the time when I work in politics, is it like House of Cards? Is it like Scandal? No. Um, (laughs) It's not that fun. I'm usually on my couch in yoga pants yelling at people via email. That's what my job is. But I think people are afraid of of the backlash. They're afraid of starting a Twitter fight where they get yelled at for 50 threads and people like it. And I know that's where it is for me sometimes. I have no problem admitting that. You know, sometimes I just don't want to pick a fight because I just don't want to be attacked myself. I think collective cowardice 
is a powerful mm-hmm. force. And that goes across. I mean, I, I used to describe you know, San Francisco as, as liberal fascism. It's not anymore. It's now libertarian fascism, where you could believe anything you like so long as it was what everyone else believed. And that the people did not handle debate on issues constructively. Is it like it was one way to, you know, one narrow way to to talk about the homeless problem? And if you strayed outside of that, you were roundly screamed at. No one was prepared to like go. But what if? Let's let's explore this. Let's you know, let's actually get some data and break things mm-hmm. down. And similarly on the on the the other side, yeah, you know, types of defense and, and national security. Similarly, there is this, if you frame anything as a, as a criticism, you know, if you say anything except, oh, we have to keep piling money onto the pot because national security, and so you go, well, well, how about we, uh, we don't do that? Well, you know, you're undermining the troops. Well, no, that's a tiny part of the defense budget. But you never get that far. You know, it, it's just too easy to launch into these spurious attacks and, and, the you know, social media verse. However, as politicians and I think political consultants, but as politicians, you're not uh-huh. there to be comfortable. You're not there necessarily even to get elected. You're there to represent the people that got you there, not yourself, not your comfort zone. If you're afraid to get shouted at, then <laughs> fuck off. Yeah. You know, and that is the thing that's most disappointing to me, as I say, across the board. Which is oh oh, but if I do that, then you know, I won't get selected. Particularly the Republicans and their fear of of the Trump machine. You know, look what happened to Jeff Flake. Look what happened to to the others. Well, you know, it's an interesting part of the the cycle. But I wouldn't necessarily call you know Mitt Romney or or Jeff Flake or some of the others out for the count. But if if you're simply there to cowardly hide and preserve your seat, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you are definitively not the right person yeah. to be in that seat, regardless of how many how how voted you have. You are not executing your constitutional responsibility. I agree. I mean, I had a candidate a few weeks ago where a, a negative quote unquote article came out about him, and he's freaking out. And I'm like, "What did you think was going to happen? Like, you're running for office. Like, your life is is different than it was a year ago before you decided to run. This isn't brand new news." And it wasn't really even a negative piece, but it was just that was his perception, and it was like, "Well, that's not." This isn't okay. And it's like, let's go back to day one. <laughs> you are running for office. There's a different expectation for you. And if you didn't want it, you can't run for office. Like this is a job that is very, very important. It's fundamental. It's literally built into the history of our country. Not like any other thing in the entire world. Your ability to even run mm. is something you have to respect. Now you got to take on the charge of doing it. And that's a full-on responsibility that you didn't have 366 days ago before you decided to run, but now you want it, <laughs> and now you got to carry that and do it credibly and trustworthily and, you know, all of that. But I think it's so funny when it's like, well, I'm just running for office. Well, you didn't just add something to your life. You built an entire new Jenga game. Like It's a whole different ball game once you mm. decide to run, and then once you're elected – a lot. There's a lot in there, just like you're saying. You know, you have a responsibility to do a certain thing, and it is for people that have voted for you. Get your job done. You know, in Oregon right now, we're a Democrat legislature, Democrat, you know, everything except the Secretary of State, which may turn Democrat again. 
at some point, like we've got, for me, my goal is not to go register more Republicans to vote. It's to help eventually change a narrative. But this is the system. We accept it and we have to work together in it. And, you know, again, it goes back to that example of the Republicans I work with right now. Before I took them on, I said, here's my approach. Are you okay with it? We don't do rhetoric. We don't yell about the Democrats. We don't talk about Governor Brown being bad. We talk about the issues and and what you're trying to accomplish. And if you can't get on board with it and you want to throw bombs, you need a different consultant. And this is why I think all three of you would agree I'm never going to be able to run for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've got a Rolodex if you decide you do. You now have people to talk. (laughs) Well, the thing is, so I joke that I'm just having these conversations so I can pick who's going to get me elected onto the school board for LA County so I can become a millionaire. <laughs> you can become a Republican. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to start a dandy party. It's going to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> this has been such a wonderful conversation. Before we wrap up, you know, any last points or anything that you want to make sure it gets across uh, for, for any of us? It's a little cheesy, but I would say for me, I really want people to go out and vote in November. I don't even care who you vote for, and I mean that honestly, but we have to have an engaged electorate. You know, Oregon has really high voter turnout, and that's awesome. Voters have to take responsibility to do it. If you're not going to run for office yourself, your vote is more powerful than anything else. It's more powerful than the person running for office because you control whether they get there. So it's really important. It matters all the way down to who's on city council or your ward or whatever your community is. Vote for your dog catcher. Like you just, you have to participate in it. And I know it can be scary and intimidating. I know it feels like people don't know enough. We're all in the same boat and we all have the same right to vote. And I just think it it has to be something that that we all do this November, regardless of who you vote for, I don't care. Just vote and be part of it. Cause it's the only way we get anything done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mudcat. Oh yeah. Mudcat. Do you want to say you've been <laughs> quiet the whole time? <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to hog Rebecca's space because we could talk about the, the nature of democracy and candidates and campaigns all day, but I get to do this with you guys every week. So uh, we will, you know, be deferential to the guest, but I do, you know, first of all, Rebecca, we appreciate you being here. Thank you. It is welcome to have a different perspective on how the world works and how participation works. And I agree with you that uh, you get, you know, we only do this every other year, right? The the opportunity to vote is a real thing and a sacred thing, and people should take it seriously. Uh, although, I would like to meet the voter who is intimidated by the Oregon ballot. <laughs> um, I mean, you guys get a ballot guide. We give you three weeks to figure the we thing have out. Brought, we have right? beat like, the system. Everybody in the country is trying to figure out how to vote by mail. Just come to Oregon, and we'll tell you how to do right. it. It's incredible. I don't believe in voter fraud with vote by mail. It's the best system. And as a consultant, it's fantastic because you get to see who's voted every day. So you get to target different markets and you, yes. I mean, it's a great tool yes. as a consultant. It's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I also love the Oregon voter guide. Like the idea that we just, you know, give people whatever it is, 60 words, a hundred words to, and a, a picture to tell your story. 
Uh, and we, you know, it almost, you don't need a consultant, right? You just need somebody to write the ballot guide and, uh, you know, tell the truth in that and God, people will sort it out that. themselves. I love the participation. culture. I tell candidates all the time here, you know, if, if you do nothing else in your campaign, get your voter statement in. You don't do anything else. Make sure you get that yeah. ugly black and white picture of you and this little snapshot that take a good amount of time to get them right. They're very strategic, but it's like, just forget the rest of us and do that. Yeah. I I love, love Oregon, love working in Oregon. So, you know, you get to do that all the time and I'm jealous. So appreciate you coming out and sharing your thoughts. Well, thank with you. Us. This has been really great and appreciate the the tough conversations, you know, we have to have them right now and it's really great to be on with you. Thanks for your interest. And if any of you listeners have questions for us or for Rebecca, we can get them to her email us at the modern dandy dot life. Thank you all. As we know it, it's the end of the world. As we know it, it's the end of the world. As we know it, and I feel fine. It's time of the world, so as we know it, it's the time of the world, so as we know it, it's time of the world, so as we know it, and I feel fine. That's great, it starts with an earthquake Birds and snakes and aeroplanes But oh, I am not afraid World serves its own needs Listen to your heart bleed Tell me, with the rapture and the reverend and the right, right your vitriolic, patriotic, slam fight, bright light, feeling pretty sick. Feel fine.